Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today I have with me Dr. Mark Wade. Welcome to the show, Mark. Well, thank you. Super excited to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Mark, believe it or not, the whole world doesn't know who you are yet. Would you mind doing a quick intro and just letting them know who you, who you are and what you're all about? Absolutely. So I'm a postural neurologist by trade. I have two doctorates and a couple dozen certifications in neurology, neuroscience, uh, and human function. Um, and I ran one of the most successful posture correction clinics on the country for about a decade. Decided I wanted to help more people and thought I'd give this whole online business thing a try. Uh, and like most of us, found out that it's much more difficult than we thought it would be to get started an online um, business. Uh, but after about a year, that business, after I clarified a few things, um, found my unique expert position, went on to become a multi-million dollar company. Uh, it's an online institute. And through there, we used a strategy called um, Virtual Summits, a collaborative marketing strategy to build that business. I ended up creating a software to allow us to run that company to run those to run those summits to build that company and in the last four years I've kind of focused now on helping other entrepreneurs get their message out to the world via collaborative marketing strategies just like I was able to do with our online business that sounds amazing and yeah I've, I've seen plenty of people do summits nowadays so I can totally see how that's working very well so that's cool. That's cool. And uh, yep, you said a lot of cool words that I have no idea what the meaning is. Uh, being <laughs> not a native English speaker, I, I'm sure that doesn't help, but uh, it's it sounded very cool at least. Something to do with people, as yes. far as I get. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, Mark, t tell me a little bit more about your businesses. So, how many staff do you have? And you, you've been going for about a year, or how, how long have you been going? Yeah, so we can focus on um, my current company, the Virtual Summit Software, which is a SaaS company, a software as a service, because I do have several companies that I still uh, am in charge of. This one, we have around 20, um, 20 contractors, and we have four full-time staff. And they're now, at this point, everybody's location independent as well, so we don't have a physical um, office that everybody reports to, but... Uh, Awesome. And um, how, how have you been building that up? You said, uh, you said there was a few, <laughs> a few bumps on the way. What's sort of been your experience in building your first online business? And, you know, what, what's been some of the challenges you've faced? The lessons were definitely learned in that first business getting started. I mean, having a, I had a, I had a brick and mortar practice. So I've had a brick and mortar business and we had staff. I had a team of five, um, at one point, a team of seven with that company. But then when we went into the online business, you know, it was location independent overhead much, you know, like a lot less all, you know, it seemed like the, like a dream come true. Um, but one of the, the issues I kind of got into with that business was I was the one essentially doing everything. I was wearing all the hats in that company. And I was a little, I, I can still remember, I was definitely intimidated um, bringing on, bringing anybody into that company. Uh, so I was 
I would say one of, one of the mistakes I made in that company was waiting way too long to bring the first person on. Funny, like not even funny, like pretty remarkable story is when I did decide, you know what, I, got, I just got so frustrated. One of, the, one of the things that actually pushed me over the edge was handling the customer service uh, communications, like the emails. You know, and most of us who've, who've run businesses, the people who are satisfied far less send those emails than the people who are like, you know, they want this or they can't find that or, you know, and I was just going like, crazy like reading some of these emails and I was like I just can't do it anymore and so that pushed me over the edge I'm like I'm gonna get a customer service person and when I hired that first person and it was a location independent person um, I felt so good about it I immediately went like the next day and hired two more people for other aspects the crazy thing is those three people those first three hires that was seven years ago now, are still with our company today. It's still with that company today. Those were like the, probably the three best hires I've ever made. Um, but yeah, so that was like kind of what pushed me over the edge to make those, that first kind of leap up there. But I would definitely say I waited way too long to move into to, to getting help. And uh, I would say you're definitely not alone. I'd say with, with the clients I have, and I, I often frequently ask when I'm doing a speech to a lot of people, sort of how many people have ever hired too early, right? Because no one does. <laughs> so it's always a question of people always wait, 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 and then it happens. And, you know, every time you do it, and I've, I've been there myself, I mean, every time you do it, you're like, God, I should have done that. Don't I've actually it. found like it kind of gets for me now, I, it almost, I almost have, I do have to almost restrict myself at this point because like, I'm always like, I can hire out for that or I can do that. Like I've become like a, uh, not an outsourcing, but, a um, uh, gosh, a delegation. Word. Yeah. The delegation machine at this point. Like, um, I just love like, I, cause I just see how much faster the business can move having more people helping and working on it, like pushing towards that big overall vision. Totally. And uh, yeah, that's the reason why I ended up with an outsourcing business with 130 people. So I'm, uh, I'm in the same boat. So I, <laughs> I'd say majority of them work for other people, but I'm, I'm very good at bringing every time I see space and, you know, I, I constantly bring people in and, you know, my staff's always like, Oh, what, who's these three new people? And I was like, Oh yeah, we need this thing. And you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. That's good. That's good. And, and I think that's, um, I mean, it's, it's a cycle most people go through, I would say, right? Because it is like starting an online business. And one of the things I always say is when you, when you always start out as the expert, right? It, it makes it that much more difficult to let go. Because, you know, if, if you have a brick and mortar, you know, you're, you're often forced to have labor because you can't stand in the shop 24-7. And, you know, you can't, do all, you can't physically do all the jobs. Whereas in a lot of online businesses, people try and do all the jobs right? Oh, yeah. uh, and it's, it's, yeah, it's a very interesting growth phase. I will, you know, and I'd actually even say in some degrees, you know, it's actually damaging to the business. Like I, I, I used to think online business and it is the best thing that ever happened. Like the freedom, I can be nomadic, you know, like I typically travel the world, still run my business, which I couldn't do when I had my brick and mortar practice. The, the, yeah. the, when I wasn't in there treating patients, the clinic shut down, right? And now the business never shuts down. It's open 24 seven. But in a way, we do get away from some of those 
those foundational aspects of running a business and, and, and actually managing the business efficiently, correctly, managing the financial aspect of it. And then just as we're talking about right now, bringing on managing and even training uh, team members, which really is a fundamental part of growing a business. Yeah, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. So um, you, you, you grew and scaled your, your first business quite well with, with these summits, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about how you actually got started with that and how you bumped into yeah. it and sort of the process through? Yeah. So, you know, I like to say that first year, especially in that online business is what we call the treadmill effect, right? Like I was essentially working hard, like doing everything humanly possible to grow the business, but it felt like I wasn't really moving forward. It was like I was sprinting on a treadmill. Um, One of the key things I found, and this is just some like business advice for anybody out there. One of the key things I found out, I was trying to do and be everything. And I'm not just talking about like wearing all the hats in the business. I'm talking about from a branding or positioning aspect of the business. Um, I read a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And in that book, he talks about the hedgehog concept, which we call a unique expert position. Once we labeled and decided our unique expert, expert position and doubled, tripled down in that area, the business essentially skyrocketed. Within 18 months, it was a multi-million dollar company. Now, the tactic or the tool we used to grow that business was virtual summits. And a virtual summit is, you know, just like it says, it's kind of like an online conference, except it's not in replace or it's not in place of an online conference. What it is, it's a marketing tool to build an audience, like to grow your list to position yourself as the authority or as the expert while creating strategic partnerships with other experts in your industry or niche. So it's really, it's one of the most powerful ways to quickly grow your business, especially if you're just getting started. But if you, even if you have a successful business, it's a a great way to stay top of mind, constantly have new customers coming in. Um, And so we, that's what we started to do. I actually heard about it because I was trying everything, right? Just like all of us, I was trying, you know, these online launches, webinars, you know, courses, like I was doing everything and um, was having difficulty get it, getting it going. I heard my good friend, Pat Flynn on the podcast, Smart Passive Income, talk about this thing called a virtual summit. And I was like, look, I've, I, I've tried everything. Nothing's working. I might as well give this thing a go. Um, And so I set out to do it. Now, typically a virtual summit, a multi-day virtual summit is three to maybe 14 days, five being most common with around 20 to 80 speakers, right? It's a massive undertaking. And at that time, because I was just getting started, I really didn't have any, you know, influence or a lot of connections. And I was only able to get nine speakers and two of them were me and my partner, right? So seven speakers. And out of pure ego and pride, I didn't want to contact the other seven and cancel it. Um, I decided to run it as a one-day summit. So instead of like four days, it was a one-day summit. And that first one-day summit ended up being one of the most successful like key kickoffs to our business. We generated around 5,000 new leads, qualified, engaged leads, and we generated around $32,000 just from that summit, which was the first kind of success we had. But from that summit, that summit became the backbone of a certification we created, which that certification went on to be a multi-million dollar certification. And because we had success with it, we just doubled and tripled down. Still to this day, seven years later, we run two to four multi-day summits and four to eight one-day summits in all of my companies every year. Nice. 
Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, when <laughs> there's one of one of my absolute key things, right? So what 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 I see constantly is people find something that works, and you know they're so eager to jump on new stuff. So even when they have something that works, they actually stop doing it and start doing something else. And it's the latest fan and like, oh, but you know, I know this worked, but you know, what about Instagram and what about yeah. Facebook and what about this and that? And I'm like. Dude, you have something that works, right? It's okay to test new things, but if you have something that works, you definitely keep doing that. Now, you can do something else as well. You can hire someone else to do something else, but don't ever stop. Stuff that works, stuff that gives you consistent leads, do not stop it. Absolutely. Right? Nice. Well, I, I like it. I like the sound of it. I'm sitting here getting super excited and thinking, uh, how many summits am I going to do this year? So, uh, that's well, good. I mean, I would say it, it used to be one of those things where not a lot of people could actually do it because it was a pretty big undertaking, right? I mean, the first, that one I was talking about, the first one I ran, I had like seven different pieces of software, 26 plugins. It took me about a hundred hours because I was doing everything, remember? So I built it out. It took me about a hundred hours and still looked like a third grader built it, right? So um, back then it was pretty complicated, pretty complex. I ended up having a team of about five people who their whole job full time was just to collect, build and run these summits for us. And it just blew my mind. I'm like, it's so easy to do a webinar or to do a course. Why are summits so complicated? And that's actually where I got the idea to build the virtual summit software. And now because of that, anybody without any tech skill or any tech experience can actually put on and run a summit within a matter of hours <laughs> versus hundreds of hours. So you could actually probably run as many summits as you wanted this year, man. Awesome. Awesome. And, and how, how does the software work from a cost perspective? Like how do you charge people? Oh yeah. So, and that's the other thing that first summit I ran, it cost me around $7,000 in all of the tools and things to build out. The virtual summit software is a monthly subscription. It's 97 bucks. So it's really uh, affordable for anybody. And that's kind of who it is. It, it was geared when I built it was more geared for kind of the newer entrepreneur who's still trying to get their business out there, get their message out and build something. I mean, a lot of the successful entrepreneurs, they, they have teams, they have developers, they have people that can already do it. So I kind of wanted to build something that a, a person with a limited budget and again, limited tech skill could just jump in there and do it just like doing a webinar or a course. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. And um, I mean, running these summits, what, what's sort of the top two or three lessons you have learned from these summits? So obviously, if people are sitting excited and, and eager to get, get summiting, what, what are some of the top lessons that, uh, that you can share? Yeah, I would say first off, I always recommend everybody start off with a one-day summit just because it's quicker, it's easier, and it's more forgiving, right? Like a multi-day summit, as we said, three to 14 days, 20 to 80 speakers. It's a pretty big undertaking. Extremely powerful, right? It's like bringing the entire Calvary. You get like, it's very, very powerful. However, if you're just getting started, a one-day summit is just like it sounds. One day, anywhere from about five to 15 speakers with 10 being kind of the, the sweet spot and only takes really about 30 to 60 days, especially now because we have virtual summit software. So start off with the one day summit. Other than that, some of the big kind of high level things would be one, your messaging is super important. I see too often summit hosts like kind of go like generic. They think going yeah. bigger or broader is going to be better. And we all know this, right? But when you're in the process of doing it, you're like, okay, I'm going to go, how to build a business summit. 
no, 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 no. You need to focus in like lead generate. You know, you need to get super specific on your topic because that brings in the qualified and engaged person prospect. The other aspect um, that I would say is people think like they look at the summit to, to ask two sides of this coin. They look at the summit as their monetization strategy. A virtual summit is a relationship building strategy. And it's one of the most powerful ones. This is where your audience gets to come in and see you positioned with all of these other experts and build no like and trust without the like feeling like they're getting hammered with sales, right? It's not like a webinar. A webinar, people know they're about to get hammered with sales. Like that's why we see show up rates dropping for webinars. The other side of it though is they also don't think past the summit. They put on a summit, they build it out and they're like, okay, I did a summit. Now I have this new audience and maybe I made some, some cash from it, but then they don't have anything else planned after the summit. And so then those leads end up going cold or, or drifting away. So always have like a post summit profit strategy, a way to monetize or take those audience further after your summit is done. Those are like two really big keys. I mean, there's all kinds of smaller things, but those are like two of the highlights that I normally see. Yeah, and I would uh, say I've, I've definitely seen one summit that was way too broad, but I've also seen one very specific, right? And I think, uh, yeah, that's it's well, very interesting. I think in business in general, we maybe this is because some of the the influencers or marketers out there right now, you know, have been pushing like, oh, it's all about you know about the size of list or how big is your business. And I'd even say sometimes we compare this in brick and mortar businesses, like how many employees do you have, right? Like it, it's not about the size, okay, and no pun intended. It's really about the quality. Your list. It's not about how big. You don't need a hundred thousand people on your list. You need people that are engaged and qualified. My first $136,000 launch came from a list of 900 people, like 900. You don't need 10,000. You need 1,000 people who are engaged, opening your emails, and willing to go further with you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I, uh, I see that over and over. And, and actually, I, I just spoke with a, with a colleague of mine last week, and she was like, oh, you know, the biggest mistake I made last year was – you know, I was so focused on the number of people instead of the quality and I was just building volume and I'm like, well, yeah. are they buying? And she was like, nope, they haven't bought anything and they're probably not going to. I'm like, yeah, great. That's, <laughs> that's I mean, not where you want to be. Even in the employee side of this, right? Like I've made the mistake of going, okay, I'm going to get three people and keep the cost, you know, then I'm going to pay them super low, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But now, now I've got three people working, so we'll get three times as much done. And it's not the case. Like it's always better to like spend more on a quality person and have less people, but that person will probably pump out, you know, what I'm trying to say, it's always about quality, whether it's hiring employees or building a list or any aspect of the business, just as you were saying there, Mads. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I look at it. So like in some businesses, you have stuff that's a lot of workload where, where sometimes costs play a big role, right? Like mm. for example, I see a lot of Amazon businesses who, you know, have five customer service people. Mm. And you know, if you want to cover like chat 24 yeah. seven, you know, going out and hiring people who are 20 bucks an hour might not work out for you. Right. Yeah. So yeah. again, you have to be, I totally agree with you in general, but I, I think, my, my mindset is always figuring out like, you know, for this kind of task, what's the right thing. And what one thing I'm eager on is what are the sort of stuff you have to own in a business and what are the stuff you can let go and like outsource. Yeah. Like if you have an office, 
right? I know you don't, but in case you have an office, like don't change the light bulbs yourself, hire a company to do it, right? Like outsource it. Like most people do it with accounting and, you know, different things. But, but so often people just look at their business and say, I need to do it all. But like, even if you run summits, right? Like you might be able to find an agency that can do your Facebook ads or, you know, that there's stuff you don't need to own. And, and I always tell people, sit down, look at all the components in your business and understand what do you have to own in-house, what is optional and what do you absolutely want to outsource or have other companies or agencies or people doing, right? Because that really gives you a, a good starting point. No, I, lo- I love it. I completely agree. I actually, um, two weeks ago, I, we had our live conference, Summit Fest Live, and I told a story. I said, I had a picture up of me in my first practice sweeping the floor. And I said, look, when you first get in business, you've got to sweep the floor. You're the janitor, you're the accountant, you're the marketer, you're the ads person, et cetera, et cetera. You do it all. But at a certain point, once you have the momentum and, and the business growing, you need to find your zone of genius and stay in that zone of genius and delegate the other options or the other aspects to other people. So completely agree with you there. Excellent. Yeah. And um, yeah, one of the difficult ones, Mark. So what's, what's the biggest management mistake you've ever made? Man, I'd say management mistake would be letting, I would say probably letting talent go um, versus two. Okay. Two aspects here. The big in, in kind of generic, kind of not, but like I've done it more than once. You'd think I would have learned by now. Right. But one of the things is, is having talent leave and not fighting harder to keep them, to keep them like giving them better, but like, you know, finding out what could keep them longer, um, whether it's pay or better benefits or, you know, like putting them around other people that inspire them, whatever, you know, finding the thing that makes them, uh, that makes them go. The other side of it is not firing faster. <laughs> um, no, like, I had a mentor mindset, you know, answer a question once in a, in a group. Somebody said, like, how do you know when's the right time to fire somebody? And he said, the first time it crosses your mind. The first time it crosses your mind that that person's probably not the right person, that's really when you should be letting them go and finding a better person. Far too often because we're humans, we all have hearts, we care, we hold on to people longer than we really should. That's better and that's not good for the business. It's also not good for the employee or the the person because there is another position, another company out there that's going to be perfect for them. So those are two big ones that have made pretty big kind of ripple effects in the business over the years. I love it. And, and yeah, the, the firing aspect, I, I'd say I definitely, I, I've worked with a lot of clients that feel like they should fire every staff member all the time and they probably shouldn't. But uh, what, what I normally say is like for most people, you know when you should fire them. But a lot of the time, exactly as you say, with hard and stuff, you're always trying to, oh, but, you know, let's give it one more week or two more weeks and, you know, maybe we'll turn around. And, but, but deep inside, most people know when they should, right? Yeah. And I'd say another aspect, like just another pro tip that I've started doing more so in the last 12 to 18 months, but is I, I hire redundancies like in, in my smaller positions, right? Like not leadership positions, but like in my contractor positions, smaller positions, there's a lot of turnover in those, right? They either get a better pay somewhere else. They find something, they get bored, whatever they move on. And so what I've started doing because it saves me so much time, it's worth the extra expense is I hire two people 
for the same position. And I just find another way to keep them both in like, in like having stuff to do, even if it's not, even if I don't have enough for them, because I know at some point in the next two to eight to 12 months, one of them is going to move on. And what really hurts the business is when the whole thing comes to a halt. I'd much rather pay more and have people doing more than we even need than have the business at some point come to a halt. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, one of the big ones for me, so with, with my management coaching, right, I'm, I'm definitely big on, on, uh, on, on looking at people's motivations and really understand what keeps them around. But I would also say if you do hire too many people, what's really, really important is that you keep them very busy. Because what I do see is I see people hiring too much staff and kind of have them sitting around. And that is a very dangerous thing to do because when they do that, first of all, they slow down the tempo because if they only have one or two hours worth of work, you know, they make it, they make it take a day. And the problem is then when you get busy, they're still making it take a day, right? So definitely whatever, like always make sure you find stuff to give people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And then I'd also say like the the key thing for me is always doing a lot of like doing weekly one-to-ones with with all the staff members reporting to you. And and that really helps big time in terms of one, bringing down attrition, but also knowing upfront. Like if you know three months before someone's leaving, that's very, it's a much better position than knowing three days before. Right. right, and that's uh, I, I used to work corporate with IBM, and that was actually one of the key things that I would judge my managers on was basically how far in advance do you know when people are leaving? And because in the, in the end of the day, in in most cases, that's about relationship, right? The better relationship you have with people, the more likely they are to tell you upfront when it's happening, right? Exactly. So that, that's sort of being a couple of big points. Yeah, that's that's cool. Um, what, what do you see the sort of upcoming challenges the next sort of six months? What's the biggest sort of challenges? What are the biggest things you're working on for the business? Well, we're growing right now. We're in a huge growth phase. Um, we just added a new service to our business, which is a, a, a done for you summit concierge service. So I'm actually building out entire teams to run summits for other people. So the biggest challenge I see with that is getting the right people in place, getting them trained because this, you know, it's summits aren't easy. And especially when you're running them for somebody else, you got a lot of responsibility and a lot of pressure kind of on your shoulders to make it happen um, and deliver. Cause it's also not a small price point that we charge. Um, so like that, that's the key thing. I'm, and I'm on, honestly, I'm really looking to create something revolutionary with this. Like, I don't want it to just be like a, like running summits, like everybody else. We're looking at adding, you know, changing the model of how they're done. So bringing people on that are kind of self-motivated and managing as well as, you know, kind of inspired to like think outside the box creative. It's hard to train creativity, right? It's, it's really hard to train that. So that's the key there is finding people for those roles and, and making them into like one solid fluid team where they all support each other and they're kind of rocking and rolling. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, one, one of the big, big points I have with pretty much every business I work with is, is really making sure that when you put people into management positions that you're giving them great training. Right, because I mean, I've worked with very large companies, and uh, unfortunately, 
majority of businesses and and that's both small tiny entrepreneurs business but also the biggest of the biggest business in the world they are absolutely horrible at actually training and supporting new managers and it's where i see the most potential right because so often you you know someone that they, they go home friday night uh, uh, as an individual contributor they come in monday morning and suddenly they're expected to manage and you know boss man's always like oh yeah just ask me if there's any questions and you're kind of like what the hell am I doing, <laughs> right? And, and and the problem is, like, uh, you know, you have all these old sayings that, oh, the best sales guy doesn't necessarily make the best sales manager and the best engineer doesn't necessarily make the best engineering manager. And what I've found is the majority of cases when that's the case, it's because people just expect, I promote this guy and he will know and understand management, right? And And they're like, whoa, this guy was so good at sales. Why doesn't he get management? I'm like, it's two very, very different skill sets, <laughs> right? So making sure that there's good training is definitely a, a, a top thing. Right, so Mark, what, uh, just just a slight point to the last thing you're saying, What what is the price point for your amazing concierge service? Yeah, so our uh, dumb for you concierge, and this is where we literally do the entire process. You essentially just have to sit back, do some interviews, and reap the rewards of it. Is it's a ten thousand dollar price point. We have a thousand dollar deposit and then a four month payment plan. But we also offer. We're the only company out there that offers a guarantee. Like we guarantee you'll make that investment back or more from your summit, or we pay you the difference. So it's a risk free investment essentially. And how do you guarantee that in attendance or how do you do that? No, in revenue. Like you'll make or, that investment back or we pay you the difference. Right. And and you're, you're basically thinking, well, you, you must be a little bit picky with the clients, right? Because if someone comes along and hardly have a business, they're not going to make 10K. Well, the summit makes the money. Actually, summits are a very profit. Like, honestly, a summit is like a business in a box. It right, okay. is a way to generate an audience. Like, you build a list. So maybe you do a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand people. But you also on the summit, you have a couple different options that people can purchase. And so you also generate revenue from the summit. Like I said, my first summit did five thousand leads and thirty-two thousand dollars. We just did a summit. Um, two months ago, and again, this goes back to like the quality of the list, not the size. Did a summit, a very niche summit, like it was about summit copy, right? Writing yeah. email copy for summit. So that's a pretty niche topic. We sure. generated 1,700 leads, so not a huge list, but that summit did $25,000. And then to that list, we had two other offers. By the end of the other offers, we provided them over two months. That summit had generated six figures. So nice. we're pretty confident in our ability to generate income for anybody on a sure. summit because we've been doing this for a long time. Well, that, it sounds like a no-brainer. It sounds like a no-brainer, Mark. So, okay, that's very good, very good. In terms of other sort of management lessons, one, one of the key things that a lot of people struggle with quite a bit is, is how to actually onboard new staff. And you, you mentioned it a little bit that you kind of bring a couple of people in every time you need to hire in the bottom of the food chain. What, uh, what, what particularly sort of process or how do you deal with onboarding of staff generally? So 
and you know, for, I'm the first one to say over here, I am no expert in hiring, training, et cetera. So I'm happy to share my wisdom and insights, but you, they should definitely be listening to <laughs> advice from like you and others in that industry or niche. What I like to do, what I've found that works for me is usually I'm hiring contractors unless I'm looking for a leadership position, which will be a little bit different, but I don't hire a lot of leadership positions throughout the year. Those typically stay on. Now, my contracted positions, which are usually kind of technicians, if you will, like maybe it's social media management or it's copywriting or whatever. What I like to do is I like to, one, start off with the job description as brutal as possible. I used to write job descriptions to make it sound as great as possible, but then you get people who they, as soon as there's something like tough or difficult, they're like, well, I don't want to do that. And so then you get, you almost are setting yourself up to get people who don't want to work hard. So I like to make it sound as tough and difficult as possible. That way I know anybody who's even considering that is willing to do the work. The second thing I'll do is, you know, I will put what I call some Easter eggs in there. So I will say, Hey, you know, if you're interested in this, you know, please send us a message here. Um, Tell me, you know, I'll say three things like send your CV, please put three, you know, and I'll do something that's not normal. I'll be like, put two references and what's your favorite color? You know, I'll put a couple like things in there. One to make sure they pay attention to details. And so that'll sort through like, so I put a couple little Easter eggs in there. So that sort like that immediately, you know, for example, I'll say something like put in the subject line this specifically, I'll say, put your name and you know, your favorite car, whatever. And so immediately if they don't do that, I don't even have to open the email. I just know they don't follow directions. And that saves my team a ton of time of having to sort through hundreds of CVs that aren't even qualified. Now that I've narrowed it down, I will, I will essentially take three people or you, you can do this with more, but if I've narrowed it down to three, I'll do a test task. And in that test task, I want to challenge their create their ability to like think creatively or strategically. Again, I can teach most other things. I can teach you how to, you know, open this file, copy that, do that, but I can't teach you how to think. And so I will give three different, I will narrow it down. I'll give them a task and I'll say things like, you know, find, I want you to list, find the top, you know, five, find five summit experts list them in order of who's the most successful list. If they have a podcast, if they have social media, what's the size of their social media. So I'll just give them some tasks and I'll, I'll say a couple specific details in there too, like list them, you know, in alphabetical order, last name first. And then I'll say, tell me who you think is the best and why. And then I'll even have them qualify themselves. Tell me how long it took you. And so then this one's like, well, it took me seven hours. And this person's like, it took me two hours. I'm like, well, I'm going with the two hour person first off, you know, as long as they all followed uh, the instructions, but that lets me quickly and and easily see, can they follow even more directions? Mm -hmm. Do they, are they organized? Like, did they get everything that I asked? And I usually do it on a topic that I already know about. So like I said, list out, you know, search five to 10 summit experts and list them for me. Like I know who the summit experts are. So if they're listing people that, you know, are like experts in a different space. I'm like, I know that person's not it. So they didn't take the time to figure it out or educate themselves. And then, like I said, I'll have them tell me who they think is the best one and why. And that gives me an opportunity to kind of see how their brain works. Like, how do they think? Did they just throw something down or did they actually think it through? That right there for me, I mean, there's all kinds of other things, but in as far as the hiring process and getting them on, that's been a game changer for us because it saves us 
so many bad hires, like so much time and energy from, from getting bad hires, essentially. And a lot of times that process, I'll actually end up finding somebody who I'm like, well, this, you know, I'm going to go with this person here for this position, but this is a talented person. I probably have another area that I could use this person and bring yeah. them on to another area. Yeah. So, I mean, just, I guess, even to add to that, right? So we, what, what I always say with recruitment is that recruitment is sales. So you have to think of it like a sales funnel, right? So I'm always at the top of the funnel. I want as many people in as possible that fits the job description and the, have the requirement, right? But then we do a lot of sort of automated testing and we do a lot of stuff so people can basically unqualify themselves, if you will. Um, so just like you said, right? Like you can put in a lot of test tasks and what, what we always do is we try and do all the automated stuff in the beginning because the more it starts out, um, before you get to them, the better. And then what one of the ones that I think makes a huge difference is we generally ask people to do sort of a, a two-minute video. And similar to what you say, do a two-minute video, upload to YouTube in private or something. Uh, but, but when you have a two-minute video of someone, if you watch that, like you probably remove half your candidates within 30 seconds of watching each video, right? So that's, uh, yeah, that's something I find really, really useful. I'd, I'd also add to this that I hired, like my, my best hire was to hire somebody to do the hiring because I am not the best person. And one, it takes, you know, there's a lot of back and forth. It takes time. You may go through that entire process I just talked about and not find the correct person and have to go back through it. So like I used to do all the hiring and it just, it was, a, it's, it's stressful. It's not easy. It's not stressful. Or I mean, it's not stress-free. So one of the, one of the better things I think I did was hiring somebody who could manage that and then help with the onboarding and training. Yeah. So what, what I generally recommend people to do is like the hiring managers should always do the final interview, but all the stuff before that is a lot of work. Right. And I, I mean, I've always pretty much been the first hire I always do when I start a new venture, right? Because, yeah, you, you I mean, someone, and you don't even need to have people that you pay a ton of money. Like, posting a job is not difficult. Like, if you if you make a good job description, just posting it in a bunch of places, you know, getting some email, following a, a, a sort of a funnel, it's not difficult, right? So you, you don't necessarily need a genius. Obviously, someone great is good, but, like, you know, even someone very basic can actually take a ton of stuff off your plate. And one thing I always see when I work with entrepreneurs, they open their mailbox. And if they're anywhere near recruitment, you know, they have hundreds of mails with resumes and stuff. And it is a huge mess, right? Yeah. So even if you do do hire, so if you're hiring even the sort of HR person initially, here's a tip create a separate email for it because you do not want it in your so email true. mess. Yeah, so true. So, excellent. Right, Mark, that was absolutely amazing. Um, any sort of last hints, tips, tricks, amazing resources or the likes that you could recommend to all my listeners? I'd like, I just reiterate that one of my biggest mistakes was waiting too long to hire. And I think that's a common thing in most businesses, especially even like once your business starts to get successful at the beginning, yes, you need to sweep the floors. You need to be the janitor, the accountant, the et cetera, et cetera. But at some point 
you need to step out of those roles and stay in your zone of genius and start delegating those other positions. It's just, it, it, and once you do, it actually becomes fun. Like you actually start to enjoy having these, these people and they're all working towards your vision of making this, this company, this thing that you're trying to build like more successful. And to me, that's, that's just so inspiring. Like I, for me, like I have a dev team, right? And every Monday, like they're, my dev team is based out of the Philippines, a majority of them. Every Monday, I'm up at 6 a.m. for that dev call. I have only missed that call four times in three years because every time I get on there and they show me they're so talented and remarkable uh, developers, it's like Christmas for me, right? I'm unpackaging like a new feature that's just been built or something cool. It's like, but it's just cool. They're working all week towards this thing that, you know, that I love and it's, it's just really a cool thing. And then the last thing I would say, and this is more just from the bottom of my heart, like I believe every single one of you has a message that the world needs to hear and an impact that you need to leave. There's a legacy that you need to create and you need to be, you need to get it out there. You have it and get it out there. And if there's ever anything I can do to help you get that message out to more people, please don't hesitate to ask. Amazing. Beautiful message. Right. Last thing, if people want to get in contact with you or the business and so on, what's the best place and how's the best way to go about that? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is virtual summits. That's plural virtual summits.com have tons of resources there. That's also the the software site. So you can see about the software and you know, you can get in contact with me directly there. We also have a Facebook community called Viral, Viral Summits, and that's where we hang out. We do lives there. I bring some experts in. We chat people who are working on you know, their summit or getting their message out to more people. So I'd love for, for anybody to be able to come in there. They can have direct access to me there as well. And if you're on Instagram, you can follow my personal Instagram at hustle and scale. Perfect. That was amazing, Mark. Thank you so much for joining me today. And for all the listeners, see you back next week. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.